When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. friends welcome to the professional book nerds podcast presented by overdrive this is joe hi hello before we dive into today's episode which will likely have you howling at the moon and sparkling in the sun i wanted to remind y'all to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts follow us on social at pro book nerds and if you've got suggestions or feedback send us a message you can email us at professional book nerds at overdrive.com with that let's get into the episode You've seen the title, so you know what the episode is about. I've got Jill and Emma with me here today. Uh, Today's episode is a Twilight Saga retrospective. We're going to look at the series, look into each of the books, some movie comparisons. Y'all, it's been 17 years since Twilight was published and 11 years since the movie was released. Oh. I like that you called it a retrospective. Like it's super fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the alternate working title for this is Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss, The Twilight Saga. So true. <laughs> retrospective feels awfully formal for these three people's random mm-hmm. thoughts on this interesting series. <laughs> For this yeah. highbrow literature we're about to talk about. Yes. So to get us started, let's all share our relationship with Twilight. Who wants to go first? I believe I started reading them in grad school. Uh, so I was in my like early 20s because that's when, I mean, I was in grad school and the books came out. Um, and I was 100% team Jacob. Um, all the way. No questions asked. I... I think I said this when we were talking about it, uh, and then will you survive? Would you survive? I quit hate reading Breaking Dawn because I was so pissed when Jacob imprinted on Renesmee or whatever her, her name is. I Absolutely. was so mad. I was mad for two reasons. Not just because Jacob imprinted on a baby. That's just weird. Mm-hmm. But it also, okay, this is where I get into like nerd writing craft thing. You have three and a half books or like three and a third books told exclusively from Bella's perspective. And then you throw in Jacob's perspective. What are you doing? You can't do that. What are you? No. So I just, I hate quit. I never finished the series or watched the movie of that one. These books came out in the early, well, 2005. Yeah, early aughts, 2005. The first one was 2005. Uh, 2006, 2007, 2008. You're welcome for just rereading out when they came out in the 2000s. <laughs> I have it in my notes. But um, I read these books when they were out. I was in high school. So this was like peak demographic. I was an actual teen uh, when I read these. But I remember I didn't start reading them until the like all 
the first three books were out. Mm-hmm. And then there was all that like buzz about they're making, they're going to make a movie. They're going to cast for a movie. And so I think that prompted me, I had been like seeing them around, prompted me to actually go read them because at that point you're like, oh, there's a couple books out. I'll get caught up and be cool. And I remember so firmly as a teen being so team Jacob. <laughs> I don't really remember why, to be honest with you. Um, but then I was furious when it was Taylor Lautner in the movies. And I was like, I am not team Taylor Lautner. I am 100% <laughs> team Jacob, but I am not team Jacob film. And for whatever reason, I could not reconcile his character without like looking at the actor. And I was like, no. So I couldn't root for him for, in the films. I refused. And then I was just, I didn't know how to handle it as a teen. Uh, so yeah, that's how I, I read these. I love that. Um, I do have a correction for the listeners already. The movie came out 14 years ago, not 11. Wait, uh, no. Yeah. The first, the first Twilight movie came out in 2008. Uh, that's my bad math. Um, yeah. Uh, so my relationship with Twilight is a wild one. 2005, I would have been in, uh, I might have been in the sixth grade. Oh my gosh, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I was in elementary school um, or heading into middle school. Um, and I remember, you know, being at Borders, looking at one of their discount tables, apologies if I've told this story on the pod, and I see, you know, like the 40% off sticker on this paperback copy of Twilight. Yep, Emma's holding it up right now. I was like, yeah, that's the one. And I thought, I, I feel like I had heard one of my friends talk about it. This was before the boom. Like, truly, the books came out. Uh, when when the first book came out, no one knew about it. No one cared. The, the buzz happened significantly later, as far as, like, my memory goes. So I bought it. I tried to get into it. I was not the target audience. It it should have been like a story for me in the the sense of like, ooh, werewolves, vampires, you know, something supernatural is afoot. But that's not really what these books are about. <laughs> Turns out they're love stories, or so I'm told. Um, so I tried. I didn't even make it through the first 50 pages before I gave up. Uh, then I was in high school. I hadn't ever read a single book. I hadn't seen a single movie, saw New Moon. I was like, but I, so I was like, you know, this was a fun enough movie to watch. Maybe I'll try to understand and finish the book. I made it maybe another 50 pages. I couldn't get through Twilight. So I never read the books. Uh, I never watched the movies other than New Moon until... January of this year, I watched in one weekend all of the Twilight movies, basically back to back, and was like, this is camp, this is theater, this is everything I ever needed, how have I not seen these before? And then y'all, in this past week, to be ready for this episode, I dove headfirst into the audiobooks which are about 13 hours each averaged out. So that's my relationship with Twilight. I know the memes. I've now consumed a lot of the content. And I super appreciate the cultural phenomenon of it all. It really was a cultural phenomenon in a way that was, you know, 
can be related to that other book we won't mention. But um, yes. yeah, it was it was intense. It was intense. And you know what I think is so interesting? Again, like we can certainly look at our relationship to it at the time, mm-hmm. which is so different to it now. And it's, I feel like it's hard to reconcile like how I felt reading this as a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old to looking at it now as an adult where I'm like, "Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And what's so interesting is like, I have like a, like a nostalgia for this Mm -hmm. series, but it's, it's so weird how like your perspective on it changes. Cause even like looking at my book, you look at like the accolades on the back and the pull quotes and stuff. Like this was a publisher's weekly best book of the year. Yeah. And like, would that, this wouldn't, I don't think this would hold up now in 2022, but so like of that moment, this was a starred review in publishers weekly. This was like a starred review in school library journal. It it, I do think it was certainly something that we hadn't seen before at that time. And it helped propel this YA fantasy fiction thing to the forefront in a way that maybe it hadn't been given attention before. But it's so interesting because like book list says in the tradition of Anne Rice. Well, Okay. Let's talk about that. Like a reach. I almost did a spit take. Let's let's talk about that because I (laughs) because while Joe was trying to read Twilight in elementary school, I was reading Anne Rice in elementary school. Vampires (laughs) don't sparkle, people. Okay, like I just I cannot I cannot with the sparkling vampire. It's the skin of a killer, Bella. What is that? What is that? I just, but I do think. Um, you know, YA as, as an age group is so large now, mm-hmm. it is not always existed or was recognized. Yeah. We like, and I think we now Twilight, distinguish like middle grade versus YA. Correct. Even yeah. recently. Yes. It was like adult and then children's and like, you'd sort of, and there you were like, like a handful of teen titles. You'd have a handful of teen titles and they were usually like the depressing little McDaniel type stuff. Like they weren't, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you did not have what we have now. No. <laughs> young adult titles aimed at teenagers or like Sweet Valley High. Like, yeah. Right. right. And then Twilight comes along and it, I guess it definitely, um, was the people were like oh they like to read books (laughs) we could capitalize on this this is where like (laughs) i'll give the twilight saga all of its props because this is kind of what helped like there are are two competing series at this point in time and they are both kind of factions warring against each other and the the press around it to try to like sell movies is also what i think in turn like the marketing efforts to make these so popular and lucrative is what kind of helped birth the YA genre with the publishing houses. Like if people weren't snapping up copies of Twilight, we probably wouldn't have the same like ease of publishing we see today because right, it was all uh, Lurleen McDaniel and uh, who is the stranger with my face? Uh, Like, uh, or she's the one who wrote, I know what you did last summer. Like, yeah. Is that, that's not Lois Duncan. 
I think it is Lois Duncan. It is Lois Duncan. Okay. I'm but pretty yeah, sure there it is. was there, there were like, like three authors for teens. Right. And I think we had authors that were slowly trying to do this, but nothing as big as Twilight. Yeah. Had sort of this, like, I do think just everybody took took hold. But it's so fascinating to see, like, looking at the marketing of this book, it says it's deeply seductive, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think is a weird tack, like, looking at that now. Um, for, a, for a YA quite, series, yeah. For a YA series, and it's marketed on the back, the sticker, my Borders sticker, says YA sci-fi fantasy and horror. Uh-huh. And so yeah. it's certainly interesting, like, how this has evolved, like, would you, I would primarily consider this to be about their love story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then, we got like, vampires. It's the vampires. With va- right, with, with vampires, vampires, like, kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. Right. But in, it's so interesting that, like, this was marketed, you know, as a dark, you know, seductive, suspenseful <laughs> romance fantasy when the majority of the early books don't really even they're very like have romance yeah or i mean for half of it edward just thinks bella's stinky like it's it's, (laughs) right it's lots of just like built up like longing tension where like Mm -hmm. there's a huge swath of the like first book where she's not even sure he likes her at all like there he like is repulsed by her so to <laughs> let's dive in. We're going to go book by book. Um, I am going to read the book jacket description of Twilight, and I am including the quotes because I think it fits with what we're all kind of trying to say here of how it was sold at the time. Uh, so we're starting off with a quote from the New York Times. Fall in love with the addictive, suspenseful love story between a teenage girl and a vampire with the book that sparked a literary phenomenon and redefined romance for a generation. Isabella Swan's move to Forks, a small, perpetually rainy town in Washington, could have been the most boring move she ever made. But once she meets the mysterious and alluring Edward Cullen, Isabella's life takes a thrilling and terrifying turn. Up until now, Edward has managed to keep his vampire identity a secret in the small community he lives in, but now nobody is safe, especially Bella, the person Edward holds most dear. The lovers find themselves balanced precariously on the point of a knife between desire and danger. Deeply romantic and extraordinarily suspenseful, Twilight captures the struggle between defying our instincts and satisfying our desires. This is a love story with bite. People don't want to just read Meyer's books. They want to climb inside them and live there. Also from the New York Times. Jill's still catching her breath. (laughs) Uh, I know. (laughs) Well, and you know what? So... Oh, I have so many thoughts. So what is this book about? Like, realistically? Uh, a a girl mean, and a boy. Uh-huh. And... He's a vampire. And he's not a boy, he's a man, and he's a vampire. He's, a, he, <laughs> he's like yes. 110 years old. He's a man. Uh, yeah, fall in love and... Uh... Toxic relationship. Like, it's not great. <laughs> pretty toxic, pretty toxic. Well, and how using like the vehicle of being a vampire as like resisting other urges. Yes. Like this, uh, a lot of times she'll say, uh, she uses a line akin to like, if you put a glass of water or you put a glass of wine next to an alcoholic and there's a, like, 
as the author, she, I feel like there's a lot of weird call outs happening, or I feel like I almost jokingly said um, that it's like she's from a different planet and is trying to relate to humans, but doesn't uh-huh. really know how. I mean, and the, so the thing, I just remember reading these as a teen, and I think the main thing that I, I vaguely remember relating to is just like when you do like somebody so much and you're, there's all that confusion of like, mm-hmm. do they like me? Everything is awkward reading into all of your like encounters. And so I think some of that, even with the fantastical element was relatable to that, like teen awkwardness, mm-hmm. but yeah, that is so weird to look at it, look back at it now. It's hard you can't keep it in a time capsule, I guess. And that's what's hard with these, with these things is I just like that nostalgia for what I think I felt when I read it the first time, but knowing like, I certainly wouldn't read these books again now. Super unhealthy relationships and just like hilarious situations drawn out across so many pages. So many pages. And what's hard- what's hard for me as well is like, so I read these books. I think I read these books once or twice in high school and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were not like a series I went back to, to like constantly reread. This was kind of like, I think a one and done situation. Like you read it and yeah. You, yeah. you're in the know, but I have seen the films like fairly often over the last 10 years. And so for me, I also have a hard time separating out what was specific to the book and what was specific to the films, Mm -hmm. because I do think they did a good job keeping the films like to the core plot of the book. Like, I don't think there was a ton in the movies that like wasn't Mm -hmm. like on the page, but I have a hard time because like there are parts of it where I so vividly remember and I'm like, wait, am I thinking of the book or the movie? (laughs) I am usually not one to see the movie, then read the book. It's usually the other way around. So going through this for the first time for me, having only seen the movies, I felt myself perk up while listening to the audiobook when it was something I recognized because there's just a lot of, it's very heavy exposition um, that's kind of meandering that results in like the key story point. I'm like, oh, the movies are the outline and the book is, it's like getting lost in Joanne fabric. There's just a lot around you and you only really <laughs> needed one thing. <laughs> yeah, I think there is a lot more of that. Like, um, I guess it's like Bella's observations or like internal dialogue in the books that right is removed from the films because you don't have that that layer yeah um but there are parts like the the actual first paragraph of the book is like exactly the opening of the movie um yes which is wild i i think uh, kristen stewart gets a lot of shit for the way she played bella she played bella accurately bella's just like perfect fully fully perfect people People who could like criticize her performance of Bella. I'm like, I don't think you read the books as closely as you think you did (laughs) because absolutely she got, she nailed it. She nailed Bella. I'm sorry to say that is, that is your Bella. (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Like 
uh, seeing the Twilight movie and going, I get it. Why were, this is why people were criticizing her. Like, what was she doing? And then the moment I started that book, I went, oh my God, she yes. read this and was ready for this role. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like, like when, I mean, like I, yeah, for me, when I read, I, it's, it's still Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think that's tricky though. Like, right. Cause he had an interesting relationship with the series as well. Like he almost resented the role at a mm-hmm. point. And I think there were stories going around recently with his like Batman press that he like almost got kicked off the film because he was just kind of like being the worst. around and and being moody about it and they're like do you want like do you want this job or not um and I think that's an interesting relationship to have with something that arguably launched your career or like made you mm-hmm. as notable yeah as you are is like yeah you don't want to be shoehorned into things but having that appreciation for what actually got you that platform but yeah. the interesting thing about that is when he signed on to be a teenage vampire, even if he signed on for the entire saga, I don't think he recognized that he was signing up for a marketing campaign that put him as the face of Team Edward and that right. there would yeah. be like 13 year olds in the streets screaming Team Edward and fighting with Team Jacob girls. Like, right. Cause yeah. I think even then, like the first film no matter what the hype might have been, that momentum really picked up after that. So like, even if they thought like, oh, we're we're making a, a movie, like it probably didn't feel like as big of a deal right. as yeah. I think it turned out to be. To kind of further the conversation, let's transition into New Moon. Um, because oh, I, th- gosh. I think this will continue the conversation as well of... Um, like Team Edward, Team Jacob, where we can kind of go with that. Uh, But from evil vampires to a mysterious pack of wolves, new threats of danger and vengeance test Bella and Edward's romance in the second book of the irresistible Twilight Saga. For Bella Swan, there's one thing more important than life itself, Edward Cullen. But being in love with a vampire is even more dangerous than Bella could have ever imagined. Edward has already rescued Bella from the clutches of one evil vampire, but now, as their daring relationship threatens all that is near and dear to them, they realize their troubles may be just beginning. Bella and Edward face a devastating separation, the mysterious appearance of dangerous wolves roaming the forest in forks, a terrifying threat of revenge from a female vampire, and a deliciously sinister encounter with Italy's reigning royal family of vampires, the Volturi. Passionate, riveting, and full of surprising twists and turns, this vampire love saga is well on its way to literary immortality. So, (sighs) New Moon making me realize I don't know if I've ever actually read the book descriptions right because they're not either. on the the back of the the paperbacks it's just like little blurbs of it's like, just like quotes and I knew we were both in mortal danger mm-hmm. still in that instant I felt well whole like that's the the it's just like little <laughs> snippets from the book so if book one, I, I guess, because we didn't really hit the conceit of it, because it's at much like uh, in the book itself, it was pretty buried. Edward's a vampire. Bella falls in love. They shouldn't be together, but they're going to be. 
a big scary bad vampire uh they they play baseball maybe the best scene in the entire book and movie they play baseball that's when the bad vampires who eat people show up uh they discover bella is a human and the tracker wants her um the tracker tricks bella bella almost dies uh edward saves her and kills the bad vampire spoilers these books have been out for almost 20 years yeah (laughs) and then we go into this one and these books they they kind of just flow one right into the other so this book picks up with edward still feeling moody and worried because bella almost died and while they killed the tracker vampire who was after her uh, they sent one who was curious about their way of vegetarian lifestyle up, I want to say Alaska, to be with the other clan that's also vegetarians, meaning they only yeah. eat animals. They're um, cousins. They're cousins, <laughs> yes. Uh, and all that said, the mate of the tracker vampire, Victoria is still after Bella in vengeance for James, her love, who Edward killed. And now yes. we can begin <laughs> because those descriptions mood. don't do anything. <laughs> and what's interesting is like the beginning of new moon Edwards is like, he's grappling with the actual reality of them being in a relationship. Together. So like all of the other drama aside, there's the issue that she brings up of like her birthday's coming up. He's never aging. Cause he's 17 forever. Um, and just some of those like reality, things I'm so articulate are like sinking in to the situation where she sees no problem with it because she Mm -hmm. is like 17 or whatever. And he, and his hundred plus years of vampire life, I think sees things shockingly, maybe like a little bit bigger picture of like, Mm -hmm. you you can't make these choices (laughs) as a teen. Like you should probably like, Edward (laughs) Edward wants Bella to have human experiences while she's human. He forces her to go to junior prom at the end of the first book. Yes, She gets real mad because she thinks he's going to turn her uh, and she doesn't want to go to prom because if you didn't know, she's the clumsiest person to ever exist. Well, so I think um, because New Moon is, you know, yeah, he leaves her and she goes into like this deep depression for like... Mm -hmm months like six months yeah we should talk about the timeline of these months absolutely i'm googling now (laughs) it's like because it's like a year and a half for the entire timeline of the books of the whole series that That includes those six months when they're not talking because she's in a deep depression because he left her to like quote unquote protect her i mean let's so it's it's like October blank page, November blank page, December blank page, January blank page. Then we get to waking up. So, I will say that's a very clever way of doing it. I did yes. love that part of the book of the way she I did sort of, too. She framed that, but yeah, like for so for like six months, and and yeah, from like the beginning of Twilight to the end of Breaking Dawn, it, it's like a year and a half, maybe okay. two years, but I don't even think it's that long. Okay, so yes, Jill, the timeline. I think you're right that it's not even um, two years. No. It, it, 2005 in January, Bella leaves Phoenix and arrives in Forks. 
Um, and in 2006 is when we hit, uh, in, in January is after Bella has like recovered from her several month stint of like being catatonic basically. And that is when she starts fixing up the motorcycles with Jacob. Mm -hmm. Uh, February is when Jacob becomes a werewolf. And then, uh, let's see. In September of 2006, September of 2006 mm -hmm. is I want to say when they is that when they get married oh August of 2006 is when Edward and Bella are married yeah so a year and a half or a little bit a little bit longer than a year and a half right there's no from moving to forks seeing him with her eyeballs they're married the following August. They're they are married the following August. She moves January of 2005 and is married to him in August of 2006. And like Jill mentioned, there is a six month period where they're not even where speaking. they're not together. Yeah. From yeah. September, it's not even, yeah, from September to uh let's see september to like february march march right wow yeah march the cullens return to forks <laughs> i will say yep new moon i think on purpose is what solidified me as team jacob as a teen mm. because they're because they she was able to like just not be so in her head she was more relaxed around Jacob they were just like they were just getting along she was able to like find new hobbies and do things and like he brought some of that life back to her yeah yeah he was sort of lost with Edward that I, I remember being irate even though I knew like you know where the series is going that she like in my opinion did not make the sensical choice no so, no, she didn't. Yeah, not at all. If Twilight is basically about Edward and Bella, New Moon is arguably about Jacob and Bella. But this is where I want to ask the question about Team Edward versus Team Jacob. Do you think there was ever, from reading the books, do you think there was ever a hope for Team Jacob? Or do you think that was just like someone on the marketing department got like the cliff notes, the cliffiest of cliff notes version of the story and was like, oh, love triangle? Because my opinion is that there is no love triangle that, or I guess technically yes, because, you know, he loves her, but like, she's always been very clear of like, yeah, I'm going to emotionally abuse and manipulate this situation to have what I feel like I'm missing, but I have no feelings for you that way. Yeah. A good question that is a good point I think looking at it now I think you see the path is clearer I think at the time I read it I, yeah I think at the time I read it I yeah. whatever teen naivete I I thought like I thought it was there was more of a triangle than I think there probably was yeah uh, that makes an interesting point like there's a part of me that's like, wow, I wish I had a teen perspective to look back on reading these for the first time. Cause I, I just feel like the male characters dominate 
-hmm. her mind space to the point that even looking at this situation now, like comparing it to the book, Bella tells us what she wants and we're not listening over the louder voices of Edward or the louder voices of Jacob. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think I definitely, I don't, I think I I was so firmly team Jacob that I, I'm led to believe that I thought there was more of a, of a possibility of it ending up that way. Okay. Well, even though you kind of know, you know, Mm -hmm. but you not like, you know, in your reader's heart of hearts, if there are like two male options, you know, you, that kind of in and of itself creates a situation where you favor one or the other. And um, yeah, I think this was like one of the first like love triangle fantasy. Th- I mean, this just picked up momentum. Like we had Twilight, we had Hunger Games, we had, you know, I'm right. completely blank, but all of those, like where it was mm-hmm. sort of two competing. Yeah. Divergent. Divergent. And I always, for some reason, I like picked the guy that they didn't end up with. So like I'm firmly team Jacob, team Peta. Oh yeah. Or well. Mm-hmm. Wait, no, was I team Gail? Team Gail. Yeah, because that's now we're throwing it back. Um uh, I, yeah. yeah, picked where who I didn't they didn't end up with. That's actually a very interesting question. I never had really considered because, like, yeah, going in, you know she's gonna end up with Edward. There's not really the books tell us on the back. <laughs> There's not really a question about where this is going. Right. I always and, thought it was just like convincing marketing to tell people there was ever an option. Ever an option. And maybe it was. I don't know. Clearly I fell for it if I'm like Team Jacob, even though I knew it was unlikely that she was going to end up with him. Yeah. Also, you would rather be a vampire than just a person, right, Joe? Oh yeah, no, I want to be a vampire and still right. I'm Team Jacob. Though. And s- exactly my point exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're still Team Jacob. Right. Well, I'm like, yeah, I, I definitely would not choose werewolf, but I still I think would choose Jacob. I think it's just I just didn't like I just don't like Edward. I think it's what it is. I'm like, I'll yeah. be a vampire, but I don't like Edward. It is very so, interesting that like Bella sells his family yes. more than she then sells he, Edward. She does because I mean Bella is the parent. She has two parents who are just children. Right. Um, so I think not only does she like yearn for being part of a real family where she feels like she gets to be a kid, she also right. clearly wants a family dynamic. Like the thing that attracts her to Jacob is the family element. That's where she can actually see her father be a community member instead of being like this insular mm-hmm. existence. Like bachelor. Mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a really good point see I'm I'm trying to make it a literary <laughs> analysis I we are we are getting into we are no, doing it. I think that makes perfect sense Joe Thank honestly you. I do I think to make it a retrospective <laughs> I do like I think Edward's family is far more interesting and yeah. um attractive conceptually than edward mm. himself you know yeah right. i think it's the whole package it's, yeah it's that if, he was, if it was like feeling. just edward and bella and edward it's, did not have his like family if there coven, wasn't a coven yeah wasn't a coven right well and i there, think for him kind as of well be no sale. right yeah. and they kind of make up that big deal about how all of the the cullens have their perfect mate and he is kind of the lone Yes. Man standing and that Bella is his 
you know, person that you want it to, you, I think you like the idea of that neat package, everybody finding their mate, their person, that big picture sort of family setting. If there is one thing I can praise though, that I feel like Stephanie Meyer did well, it's in terms of like a healthy component of a relationship. It is, uh, that idea exactly of there's still a family like it's you may have found this person that you want to be with but you still belong to something else so not like completely abandoning the other people in your life other things that are important to you and also Charlie challenging her um I want to say it's in Eclipse when she's ungrounded finally Mm -hmm. that she can spend time however she sees fit as long as it's balanced that it shouldn't just be Edward and she tries to argue that like well I spend time with Alice as well and you know so like yeah. I mean I, I get what it's like I remember I remember yeah. being in yeah. high school and being in relationships I remember early relationships as like a younger adult version of myself and still cutting time away from the people in my life so it was super uh, I I definitely like props to her for understanding like (laughs) yeah I think that's important though because you like when you are a teen it's so hard to be balanced Mm -hmm. I mean like you I remember very clearly like in high school relationships like you just want to spend time with one person and everything goes by the wayside and that's not I remember you know it causes problems that's not like healthy that's not good for your other relationships. And so I think that was something that in the story did make sense. Whereas like you want her to spend time with Jacob, you want her to spend time with Alice. You want her to spend time with, you know, Jessica and Angela Mm -hmm. and her other friends. And I think it, it was interesting to see that message there where the relationship between Bella and Edward is such a huge part of this story. But even then some of those messages around like, he's not your whole life. Like mm-hmm. hopefully, um, were important. All that said, I still can't like these characters are 17, 18 and that right. blows my mind. Yes. I will also say, I think new moon is what made me decide uh, the person I had the problem with was Bella. Like yeah. that was when I decided I didn't like Bella because she's lived her whole life turning herself into like an NPC she is just a non-player character until something makes her engage or interact like oh my mom needs me to be her emotional support system now I have a purpose my father needs me to cook dinner for him every night now I have a purpose this boy who I truly thought thought I was repulsive now I have a purpose I got to figure out what his deal is And she just like through this whole book, I don't know what she puts Jacob through to try to make herself feel better. I don't enjoy. That's where I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like that you're using someone else in hopes that you feel better. I don't like that you don't exist if someone doesn't need you and that you're completely unwilling to do any sort of self-exploration. Yeah. And I think that's the thing um, coming at young adult books as adults mm-hmm. is some of the things that I think I certainly had a greater tolerance for as a teen because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I look at now as an adult and go, no, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but then also like knowing for the audience, and that's why I have a hard time. I love young adult fiction. I, I read a lot of crossover, but sometimes I do have a gripe where I'm like, yeah, Oh, come on. Like have a conversation, but as a 17 year old, would you have those conversations? You probably wouldn't. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that that's interesting as well. Like what is the appropriate, because you're writing for the young adult audience and that is, it mirrors a young adult experience. I I don't know. Or where you want to be a little bit more like give them a little bit of something to look to or like guidance, or if you, if you just want to see what what you would do in that. I think it's interesting with YA. I'm babbling. Yeah. No, I think you have to like still present something relatable for the reader, but there should also be a layer that allows them to like learn from, you know, like at some point if she had had the reflection when she describes herself in new moon as being a zombie and being in the zombie phase, if she had had a moment of like, Oh, I don't ever want anyone to let me feel that way again. That is a, is a great turn. Just like if she had set some real boundaries with Edward after to be like, hey, you can't leave me. Yeah, that's true. What happens in New Moon is basically just to give that whole rundown yet again. She tries, she loses herself for like six months. She decides that she wants to be friends with Jacob now because Charlie threatens to send her to her mother. Uh, And she can't leave Forks just in case the Cullens ever come home. She decides to like go out and see her friends. She hears Edward's voice in her head one day when she almost gets into like a dangerous situation. So she starts thrill seeking to keep trying to hear his voice. Uh, And then they just like, she does a bunch of that for a while until uh, one day, you know, it's it feels like it's been so long, but you know, then we remember the timeline is literally a year and a half. Uh, it feels like it's been a while and she might have actually recovered, but no, she's, she's still in a rough spot. She decides to cliff dive. She was gonna cliff dive with Jacob, but she just cliff dives alone. She runs, she jumps, and she feels great until she hits the water and gets pulled in the undercurrent. Now, the thing that happens here that's kind of a big deal, Alice, uh, you know, Edward's sister, if you don't know who these characters are, I don't know how you made it this far anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Uh, but Alice can see the future. That's her vampire power, but it changes based off of people's decisions. And for whatever reason, Alice cannot see anything that involves or is in the territory of the werewolves. So because Jacob saved Bella, Alice cannot see Bella being saved because Jacob becomes involved in the timeline. So Alice just thinks Bella killed herself. Jacob being passive aggressive when who he thinks is not Edward, but Edward calls to be like, I need to talk to Charlie. He says, Charlie's at the funeral. Edward assumes that it's Bella's funeral, that Alice was correct. Um, also Rosalie's involved it's a bunch of nonsense like it's very convoluted very fast but it all works out so Edward decides he also has to die now if this is sounding like Romeo and Juliet don't you worry Stephanie Myers is not that deep she called out Romeo and Juliet they are reading it at the beginning of this book they watch the movie together yeah heavy handed and Bella is the only one yeah then they go to Italy because Bella's the only one who can stop Edward. Anyway. Because 
he is going to out himself as a vampire in front of the Volturi, the vampire council, so mm-hmm. that they will be forced to kill him because he cannot live in a world without Bella. Things so dramatic. So he, I just clearly remembered the film version where he has his painted on abs because those were not his abs glittering in the sun (laughs) and she's like running through the crowd in Italy of people oh so yes to get to that Bella finds out that Edward thinks she's dead and he's going Mm -hmm. to go to the Volturi and she must fly to Italy to save him with Alice uh, running through the crowd the scene of her running through Italy in the film (laughs) uh, is very campy it's, it's like it's so, so exaggerated it's so many clumsy limbs it's like pushing through a sea of people in red hoods because of course it's like some festival it's with the red festi- hoods it's oh, the yeah. festival of the saint who got the vampires out of this city but the irony is it wasn't a saint it was a vampire right. so that they could say that there are no vampires everything happens that's important right here because the reason all of a sudden that the pace picks up toward the latter half of the series is because now they have a timeline so bella saves edward but they don't get away from the volturi they have to go back into their underground lair where um bella you know is seen as a human her powers her power her gift is that you know edward can't read her mind and also anyone who does like vague mind reading doesn't seem to be able to do that like if if you have any mind control adjacent ability basically the volturi says if you don't turn her we gotta kill her or like we're going to turn her and much. take her home. Yeah, I think they yeah. want, because they want to use Bella's ability. So no matter what, I don't think there's a threat of her death. I think there's a threat of her being turned. So yes. Alice promises that she'll turn Bella. And that's kind of how that goes. How that goes. <laughs> well, <sighs> I think it's, I think it's further. I think um, mm-hmm. she doesn't have any reaction to the vampire uh, who can cause pain with their mind either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's intriguing that she's just sort of like blank to all of the influences of these powerful vampire gifts. And I think it honestly furthers her end mm-hmm. goal, which is to be a vampire and be with Edward. So if this outside force is a another driving factor to getting what she wants, I don't think she sees it as a huge problem. It's all she cares about. It's all she cares about. Right. It's very singularly focused on just being with Edward and being a vampire so she can be with him for eternity without any of the sort of issues of like aging, et cetera. She gets very mad in Eclipse when she finds out that Jake isn't aging, at least for a significant period of time. Right. She want. I think she wants to, to see them on even footing. Mm-hmm. whatever that means but I do think this is where I do give Edward a little bit of credit where he's like I didn't have a choice right you know I I was turned into a vampire these are all the things that you're going to miss out on and she I think it's hard for her to to even like really think about that because again like that focus on I can't be without you look how miserable I was when you were gone these six months and I was like a blank page Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the only thing that she's prioritizing above everything else. So it's like he keeps trying to throw her like college, 
children. Yeah. Um, and we conveniently, <laughs> conveniently, spoiler, find ways around uh, those All limitations where you get, <laughs> I guess you get the best of both worlds. So um, <laughs> question about writing style that I want to propose to y'all. I feel like I see this in juvenile titles or even those middle grade titles that with a series, there are often moments where there's a, a bit of expositional backtracking that happens, you know, that you have the reminder of like, you know, character's best friend or friend from this grade. But I don't feel like I see that the extreme degree of backtracking as you do in these books. It was either the start of New Moon or Eclipse. I think it might have been Eclipse that she totally said Jacob Black and then gave paragraphs worth of this is who Jacob Black is in Mm -hmm. case you missed the second book entirely about Jacob Black. Yeah. Do you see that as a trend for the time? Do you see that as something that still happens or it happens in different ways? Or is this just kind of her writing style? Um, I think there's a couple things going on. I think it's generally encouraged for writers to do that mm-hmm. just in case it's been a while. So sure. I still see it. Um, I think though, there is a fine line between um, doing that in a way that feels natural and doesn't feel overboard and then there's info dumping (laughs) can you there are ways to do it where it doesn't feel so much like okay we get it like yes we understand like i understand why you have to do this there are ways to do it and then there are bad ways to do it (laughs) (laughs) so info dumping such a smart way to put it it's info dumping it still happens um yeah I I just, yeah. So I think just like uh, Breaking Dawn, this episode is going to be split into two parts. Uh, We'll start with the first, sorry, Jill, I killed Jill with that one. Um, We'll start with the first half of the series as we've kind of mainly talked about Twilight and New Moon. And then in the next episode, we will talk about Eclipse and Breaking Dawn. We'll tie back in more of the movie things. We'll bring in some trivia And uh, yeah, so before we close out this episode, y'all, any thoughts on Twilight, on New Moon, on the culture around the Twilight Saga? I still say vampires don't sparkle. That's my only thing. I think that's fair. I did have a keychain though from Hot Topic (laughs) for like the duration (laughs) of high school and college. That did say I like boys who sparkle. <laughs> I did have a water bottle. I had a red water bottle that said Team Jacob that a coworker gave me. Um, that was like very stylized. I don't know what happened to it. I probably when I, I sold my copies. Move. I no, I think when I got mad enough at the books that I like hate quit. I sold like I sold my copies to half price books. That's how mad I was. I'm like I don't even mm-hmm. want these books, and I probably got rid of the water bottle about the same time. Yeah, I totally feel that. Yeah, I, again, this is a tricky one for me. I have like a nostalgia for them, but I understand as an adult the problems with it now. Yeah. Um. So that's, yeah, that's an interesting one for me. I think the movies are funny. They're like campy and cheesy. Mm-hmm. 
the soundtracks are amazing. So shout out to whoever did those. I yeah, think films. the movies are perfection. Just... They are true stupid camp, and I they, love it. Really I'm gonna are. get. I'm gonna get through these books, and I will never think about reading them again. You're but gonna... I will watch those movies regularly. My question to you, Joe, because mm-hmm. it's the time in the timeline, mm-hmm. Midnight Sun. <laughs> Why did you have that at the ready? I had it at the ready. I have all these books sitting on my desk for reference and inspiration in case you were wondering. Uh, Midnight Sun timeline wise is the same as the first book, but from Edward's perspective. Sure. Are we going to talk about it later? You know, we, skip it? we could talk about it later. Okay. Yeah. Because I will say this book, Midnight Sun came out in 2020, much awaited for the fandom or whatever. Um, from his perspective and I will say um, but I reserve the right to change my mind later is I didn't hate it from his perspective I thought I would I didn't hate it but I need to take a look at it again to see why I didn't hate it I respect that I am totally happy to talk about all of the auxiliary pieces, Midnight Sun, the one with the green apple on the cover, uh, the novella yeah. with the hourglass on the oh, cover. Yeah. The short second life of yeah. Bree Tanner. Bree Tanner, yeah. I'm, I'm down. Uh, listeners, we'll see how productive we are in the, in the next part of this. Uh, we'll try to keep it to two parts, but if we have a, a, a third auxiliary episode, sorry. Not <laughs> Sorry, not sorry, because you not can really also pass if you don't like Twilight and come back and listen to us another time. <laughs> yes, we will be uh, dividing up the Twilight episodes with some other content in between. So you're not looking at a month worth of back to back Twilight. No, we might be in the recording world, but sure. uh, you won't be in the listening world. Yeah. Well, listeners, uh, if you have big feelings about this one, once again, email us, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. If you have a series you would like us to do a retrospective of, let us know. Give me some other ideas. Give me some books you want us to talk about in depth like this. We're, we're happy to, to have this little informal book club with y'all. So thank you all so much for listening to us talk about the Twilight Saga Part 1, Twilight and New Moon. Jill and Emma, thank you for forcing me to read these <laughs> books. My life is forever changed. You're welcome. I know, I like, uh, yeah. question mark? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I, yeah, you're welcome is correct. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening and happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. 
And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.